Hey there, my name is Ryan Hughley, and I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our goal is to help as many people as possible meet and mature in the Jesus of the Bible. For more information about our ministry, visit our website at ridgeline.church. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing on the platform of your choice. Thanks again for listening, and I pray God's Spirit uses this message to revive you in a fresh way. Welcome, everybody. So glad that you are here. If this is your first time with us, my name is Ryan Hughley. I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline. And last week, we started a brand new series called uh, Dear Discouraged. Uh, We are making our way through Paul's letter to the Philippians. And uh, so if you have a Bible or a mobile app that you're going to be reading on, you can turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 12. Uh, in just a second. I do want you to know if this is your first time, you're going to notice that there is a a number on virtually every slide that will be on the screen. And that's because at the end of my message this morning, uh, we'll do some text message Q&A as long as we have time. And so at any point throughout the message, if a question comes to mind for you that you'd like some clarification on, just text that question into that number. And then I'll answer as many as we have time for together. All right, well, here's what I want to do. I want to start this morning inviting you to reflect on a question that I believe is of enormous significance. And that question is this, what story will your life tell? I want you to think about that for just a second. What story will your life tell? So let's say that someone took up the task of writing a biography about you at the end of your life, okay? And they look at your life and they interview the people who knew you and they had some awareness of your life and who you were and what you did. What story would your life tell? Now, here's the thing. My guess is when we first consider this question, our minds have this tendency to immediately race to specific tasks that we hope we will accomplish in our lives. I'll use myself as an example. When I think about the story my life would tell up to this point, I immediately start to think about a handful of both personal and professional accomplishments. So on on the personal end, uh, Tammy and I just celebrated on Friday our 16th wedding anniversary, which uh, is awesome because we still like each other. So we're not just like hanging on for dear life. But in my family, genuinely, uh, I will be the first person in about three generations in my family to be married to the same person throughout the entirety of my life. So that's a huge accomplishment for me personally and in our family. Uh, We're also raising three amazing kids. Um, I also think about the handful of just very deep, genuine friendships that I have in my life. And I'm thankful for all of these personal accomplishments that I've experienced. But then there's also professional things. I've, I've planted two healthy churches. Church planting has a failure rate of over 70% inside the first two years. So I count that as one of the great accomplishments in my life. I got to write a book. I've gotten to put together resources that have been a blessing to other ministry leaders. And so when we think about the story that our lives are going to tell, we tend to run to things like that. We we begin to think about tasks that we've accomplished. But this morning, I really, really want you to consider this question from a completely different angle. I want you to rather than focus on the things that you have done in your life or the things that you hope to do in your life, I want you to consider this question from the angle of the person that you will become. So more character, less accomplishment. Does that make sense? And think about this question. What story will your life tell? 
And thinking about this question from that angle might feel a bit counterintuitive to us because within Western culture, we tend to obsess over accomplishment. And it's not that there's anything wrong with intentionally pursuing particular accomplishments provided that they honor God and they're properly motivated. But the problem is God's focus in scripture is far more concerned with who you become than it is on what you accomplish. For instance, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18, the apostle Paul writes this. He says, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So just consider those three simple commands. God's will for you and I is that we would become joyful, conversational, and grateful people. Now, obviously, that's not the sum of what God's word says about his will for us, but it's an example of one of many places where we learn that God is more concerned with the people we're becoming than he is the tasks that we accomplish. You with me so far? So let me ask you this again then. From this different angle about who you are becoming, what story will your life tell? When the people who know you best reflect on the type of person that you are and the type of person you're becoming, what story does your life tell? And since we're studying Philippians like Paul, I'm wondering if our lives are going to tell the story of people who lived joyfully, even in the midst of very trying circumstances. Because I would probably argue that about nine out of ten times, People's lives tell a story that says that they are happy when life is comfortable and they are miserable when it's not. And the problem is life with Jesus holds out so much more than that. And this has everything to do with the discouragement and the languishing that so many of us are facing and the encouragement that we're pursuing in Paul's letter to the Philippians. And so as we learned last week, nothing informs our joy in life like where we choose to focus. And so we're trying to see the full story of what it is that God's doing in our lives rather than merely focus on the uncomfortable parts we might be in right now. And so to this end, I want to take a careful look at what Paul cared about most and the manner in which it informed his joy. So again, if you have a Bible, go to Philippians chapter one. I'm going to call this message the story of our lives. And we're going to pick up in Philippians chapter one, verse 12. All right, read with me. Paul says this, he says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, he's talking about his imprisonment, has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. Now there are Two things in these first verses that I, I want to make sure we catch. First, I want you to notice how Paul is always concerned with clear thinking. This comes up not just in Philippians, but in almost every letter that he writes. He's so concerned with clear thinking. Remember, Paul is writing to people who are feeling a lot of emotions upon reception of this letter. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes our emotions have the ability to obstruct our ability to think clearly. Agreed? Like I experienced it just a few days ago. We are a family. We are still on the hunt for just a slightly bigger home than we have right now. And so last weekend, one popped up in the very neighborhood we wanted. And at first I was so excited. 
I opened up this listing and I was looking through it and I thought, man, this is perfect. This is exactly what we need. Let's get this done. The problem was it was just slightly beyond what we were able to afford. And the very moment that that became apparent, all my joy and all my optimism popped like a punctured balloon. And for a couple of hours after that, my emotion obstructed my ability to think clearly because I was literally driving my youngest son, Lincoln, to his guitar lesson. And my inner dialogue was like, you know what? We just can't afford to live here. And if we can't afford to live here, I shouldn't have moved my family here. You are a horrible husband and dad, Ryan. That was my, for like two hours, it was just those three sentences over and over and over again. And none of that is clear thinking. And so my point is, Sometimes our emotions, which are good and a gift from God, but they can have the tendency to obstruct our ability to think clearly, which is exactly Paul's concern for these discouraged Christians in Philippi. And so as a result, he starts verse 12 saying, I want you to know. He's going to make sure, he's going to be like, I know you got a lot of stuff going on emotionally. You're feeling a lot of things and it's valid, but I want to bring your attention back to what is true. We established this last week, but it bears repeating. Paul wants to make sure that they know the full story of what God is doing in his situation and in theirs. He doesn't want their discouragement to obstruct their ability to think and to see clearly. They know Paul is in prison. They know that he's being opposed. They know that his life is in grave danger. But that was only part of Paul's story. And so as a result, he points out two other parts of the story that they may not know, and then they might have missed. First, Paul's imprisonment had further spread awareness about the good news of Jesus. Now, if you don't know, Paul was in prison because of his teaching and preaching about Jesus. The more that Paul told people who Jesus was and what he'd done, the more it disrupted both the religious and the secular cultures of his day. And so on multiple occasions, Paul was put under arrest and at this point in his life, he is under house arrest in Rome. But never one to miss an opportunity, Paul seized this uncomfortable circumstance to tell those who were responsible for his care and oversight about Jesus. And so he says, as a result, what has happened to me, it's actually advanced the gospel. Now, it's safe to assume that given the choice, Paul would have preferred to be free, right? But he refused to not see the way in which the Holy Spirit seized an uncomfortable situation for him to accomplish his good. And additionally, Paul's imprisonment had also increased other people's confidence in Jesus. Now, we all know it's powerfully inspiring to see another person suffer well. Like even last week, as we heard the story of Jane and her now third bout with life-threatening cancer at only the age of 30, but we got to see how well she's experiencing that and fighting that and suffering through that. And if you're anything like me, that was an inspiring moment. When we see another person steward a terrible or a tragic situation well, it has this tendency to contextualize our own suffering. It makes us want to live better lives. And that's what happened Due to Paul's situation, he says, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord for my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. So they were seeing what it was that Paul was experiencing. And they thought, man, if he can endure all that with such joy, then we can continue to speak out boldly about Jesus. 
Now, at the very same time, I want you to see that Paul did not ignore the challenges that he was facing. Look at verse 15. To be sure, Paul writes, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. So I want you to notice right there, notice how Paul acknowledges opposition. Okay, he's not, he's not delusional, choosing deliberately to only see good things in life. In fact, it's as if he anticipates pushback from his friends that says, well, yes, Paul, more people are speaking out about Christ, but, but some of them are doing it in a way that is meant to disparage you and to damage your reputation. And so Paul is just like, yeah, I see that, man. He acknowledges that. He says, to be sure, some people are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. Some of them are trying to cause me trouble. And there's instruction for us, not only in what Paul says, but also in his example. You know, if you stop and you think about it, there is very little in life that carries more shaping influence, both for good and bad, than a lived example. I think about this constantly as a parent. When we first started having our kids, I was obsessed with everything I felt like I needed to teach them about God. And so I read book after book after book about everything they needed to know and how to best teach it to them. And I was just like so pent up and like so afraid of failure. And so we read children's Bibles and we tried catechism and all these different expressions of family devotions. And I was just constantly stressed thinking I'm not teaching them enough about God. But you know what's interesting? As I've gotten just a little bit older and reflected more on my own upbringing, I don't really remember or recall almost anything specific that my parents taught me about God. Like all of you, I, I didn't have perfect parents, but they were very faithful to get us to church. And my dad read Bible, to, Bible stories to us a lot when we were kids, and I'm super thankful for all that. But do you know what shaped my own spiritual imagination more than anything else? Almost every night that I would go into my parents' room to say goodnight to my dad, I found him sitting on his bed, with his Bible open, reading, and praying. And I'm, I'm certain that he tried to teach me a lot of information about God. And I'm thankful for that. But what really shaped me was his example of sitting with God. That still impacts me now as an adult. And the point in this is just to say that there is very little that carries more shaping power in life than a lived example and so let's not miss Paul's example to us right here. Paul was determined to see the whole story. See, when it comes to suffering or any season of difficulty, trial, or pain in our lives, we are prone to make one of two mistakes. Mistake number one is we despair. Now, when you despair in a suffering season, what happens is the struggle is all we see. You've been there? There's nothing good happening in life. There is no hope. There is no way forward. Now, equally problematic, on the other end of that spectrum, maybe we don't despair. What a lot of Christians have a tendency to do is we deny. So we pretend as if it doesn't exist. 
And this can be epidemic in certain circles of modern Christianity. Because we have ignored the Bible and we have perpetuated this myth that good Christians don't struggle if they have enough faith, people tend to pretend that they are okay when they are clearly not okay. And so what I want you to hear in this is that both denial and despair are significant problems. And the remedy to both is to see the entire story. And so notice that even in this acknowledgement of opposition, Paul still points out that not everyone is out to get him. Some are definitely preaching out of deep love for Jesus and love for Paul. And again, Paul will only see the entire story. The problem practically for us is that can be terribly difficult to do. It's super, super hard to do that well. And so let me give you two questions that I think will help us see the whole story when we go through seasons of struggle, all right? Just two very, very simple questions. Question number one is this. What is God forming in me? What is God forming in me? One of the most important convictions to wrap our heads around is that God uses every circumstance and every situation to form the fruit of his spirit within us. And so sometimes that means teaching us endurance and trust and hardship. Sometimes that means allowing us to come to the end of our own strength so we learn to lean on his infinite power within us. Sometimes he is exposing lesser loves and desires that exist in our hearts so that we can learn to love him more deeply. What he's doing in you, what he's forming in you may change, but the fact that he is always forming something in us will not. So ask yourself, what is God trying to form in me right now? Here's a second question. What is God doing through me? Or what does God want to do through me? That's the example that Paul leaves us here. He sees how God is using his hardship for the good of others. Now listen, that does not diminish the suffering, but it at least provides it with a little bit of meaning. Suffering is hard, but the good news is with Jesus, pain is never pointless. I had a conversation with a woman in our church this week who over the last few years has been through just a gut-wrenching relational issue. And through that whole thing, I've watched her try to hold on to this sliver of hope that somehow God would use this beyond her own life and story. And this week, I got to see God do that very thing. So we may not see it right now, but our pain is never pointless. He is forming something in us and he desires to do something through us. Now, sometimes the pain we experience is so severe, we can't even find answers to those questions. And maybe that might be where you're at right now. You're like, uh, number one, I don't know. Number two, I don't care. Sometimes you're there. And listen, when you are there, you need to seek out someone else who can help you gain some perspective. Because that's what Paul's doing for Philippi in this moment. Paul didn't despair in or deny the difficulty he was facing. He simply insisted on seeing the whole story. And I think we see the true means of how he did that in these last few verses. Look at verse 18. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. 
And in this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice because I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So right here, we start to get this view into the convictions that caused Paul to be able to rejoice despite being in such an objectively difficult and dangerous spot in his life, okay? So first, I hope that you see that Paul really could not care less about people's intent. He's just not worried about that. Some of these people were preaching about Jesus, but they were somehow, and we don't know exactly how, but somehow they were doing it in a way that was meant to undermine and disparage Paul himself. And yet Paul refuses to see himself as a victim of this slander. He doesn't even care. All he cares about is that Jesus is being preached. And so Paul would say, man, you you guys can intend whatever you want for me. As long as you're telling people about Jesus, I just don't really care. And I think that's a pretty powerful example for us. We live in a day of such intense tribalism within the Christian church. And so rather than take a posture of trying to include and trying to celebrate as many diverse expressions of following Jesus as possible, we seem bent on excluding everyone who does not believe exactly and practice exactly the way that we do. But Paul is not hung up on any of that. He just wanted as many people as possible to enter into a real relationship with Jesus, even even if he was attacked in the process. So Paul couldn't care less about what people intended for him. And then secondly, he believed so deeply, you can see it in almost every single word he speaks, he believed so deeply that God was at work even in the midst of his struggle. Until God revealed otherwise, Paul really believed that God was going to answer the prayers that were being offered on his behalf and that he would be released from prison and that no matter what, he would always be helped by the Holy Spirit. And so let me just pause here for a second and ask you to consider a personal question. When you look at your circumstances, when you look at what you're experiencing right now, no matter how big of a mess it might seem like, do you believe that God is at work? When you think about where you're at right now, and what you're experiencing, do you believe God is at work? Do you believe that he's working in you? Do you believe that he will work through you, even if you can't see it or feel it? Do you believe that he is committed to giving you the help you need to get through it? Because if not, and be honest, okay? No, like Christians lie too much, especially to themselves. So if you're not there, if you don't believe that, have the humility to admit that to God right now. And no, I'm I'm not trying to shame any, because I've been there. I'm not trying to shame any of us in the midst of this. Shame just drives us into into more desperate hiding and deeper despair. So shame is not the answer. Honesty is. So maybe the first step toward belief is telling God that you don't. Now thirdly, and I think most significantly, Paul's deepest desire was that Jesus would be honored in his story. 
if you want to know, like, what made Paul tick? How is it that this guy writes, and with every pen stroke, he hears the clinking of the chains he's attached to? How does this insane person still write about joy? This is how. His deepest desire was only that Jesus would be honored in his story. That was the story that Paul was determined for his life to tell. And think about it, like Paul achieved some pretty amazing things. Like he planted more churches than we can fully count. He wrote like half the New Testament, which I feel like is a, anyone who got to write Bible, like that's a pretty big achievement. These are the things that Paul accomplished. They're huge accomplishments, but notice that Paul's not preoccupied with any of his accomplishments. That's not what he writes about here at all. The story that he wants his life to tell is his only concern. Paul just wanted to live or die in a way that honored Jesus. He wanted to be the type of person whose attitude and response in all circumstances pointed to the life-changing presence of Jesus with him. And so Paul could not control his circumstances, but he could control the manner in which he lived through them. And his deepest desire was to live through them or even to die in a way that honored Jesus. And so as we reflect both on what Paul says here and his example in these verses, here's how I'd kind of sum up his big idea. There can be joy in suffering when we see the whole story. There can be joy even in suffering, difficulty, trial, and pain if we are determined to see the whole story. If there is one thing that I'm confident in in this moment, it's that you are most likely very aware of any hardship in your life right now. So if I like asked you, if we sat down right now, had a cup of coffee, and I asked you to identify where you're struggling, my guess is you wouldn't need like hours of silence and solitude to really get to the bottom of that. See, pain is so acute, we tend to not miss it. What we tend to miss is everything that God is doing in and around our pain. We miss what he is forming in us. And we miss what he wants to do through us. And the uncomfortable truth is, life's always going to have its fair share of suffering. And anyone that tells you different, even if they do it with a Bible in front of them, is a liar. Pain's always going to have its fair share of suffering. You know how I know? Because Jesus told us so. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. And I don't know about you, but that's not my favorite Jesus promise. Right? I got some other ones that I like a lot more than that one. No one heard that and they were like, we love this guy. He always has so much encouraging stuff to say to us. But Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Which means we have to come to the terms of reality with it. Life is always, always, always marked by good and bad, blessing and difficulty simultaneously. But you know, the good news is, after Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, he said, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And because of this, Jesus can help us walk through all of life 
with trusting joy. That's the story that I want my life to tell. And I pray that that will be the story that your life tells as well. Will you pray with me? And then we'll hit some Q&A. Father, I thank you that you are bigger than our circumstances, that you are bigger than our pain, you're bigger than our wounds, you are bigger than our suffering and difficulty and trial and hardship, you're bigger than all of that. And you are working in the midst of it all. And I just confess on our behalf, Lord, we confess together that it is sometimes very difficult to see you at work. It can be very difficult to sense your very real presence with us in the midst of it. And so some of us right now just feel like we are walking through a haze and we don't see a way forward. And we don't even, even as we look in the rear view, we don't even see how maybe we got to where we are. We just know that we're in a mess. And so Lord, rather than allow all of our attention to be consumed by that, would you give us eyes to see the rest of the story? Help us to see where you are at work in us, forming, breaking, healing, restoring and reviving parts of us that are not how you have created us to flourish. And Lord, I pray that you would give us deep faith and trust that you are going to use our suffering in some way. Help us to know and to believe that our pain is not pointless with you. And Jesus, we thank you that you were willing, that you chose to enter into suffering on our behalf. Your word says that you were tempted in every way that we are, which means you would have been tempted to despair in suffering. You would have been tempted to deny. We get to see you in the gospels wrestle with anxiety and worry in the midst of facing what you knew you had to do. But you did all of that perfectly. And then you died in our place and you rose again. And now you invite us to come to you and to find mercy because you get it. You have felt and experienced what we feel and what we experience. And so I just pray, God, that you would minister to each of our hearts in the way that we need. Give us eyes to see the whole story so that we can walk with joy in all of life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.